Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of fun, Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we've got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. For another Fun Belt podcast, I am Dusty Thibodeau with Warhawk Report, joined as always with Jeremy Harper of HowRazor.com, Ben Moore of PantherTalk.com. Ben, I, I don't even want to ask you about your Panthers. Um, <laughs> I, I feel for you, but at the same time, I don't because I'm on a 12-game losing streak. We squeaked out a tie last week against the bye. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to tell you there, Ben. Welcome to the club, maybe. I, I, I really am at a loss for you. Yeah, it, we, we had to go back through the, uh, the annals of uh, the program's history, and, and I believe uh, it, it wasn't, you know, the 60 mark. I think I texted somebody uh, midway through the first quarter. I said the way the defense was uh, lining up, that it looked like they wanted to give up 60. Uh, Sam Howell, like he wanted to be the you know first round uh, you know draft pick that he has been projected to be, and the Panthers' defense was more than happy to help him get there. So uh, we were, it was in a giving a giving mood up there in Chapel Hill. Just remember, everybody is on the other side of the highlights, so it's not just like oh look at this player. There's somebody that they're doing that play against. So don't ever forget that. And then we turn to to Jeremy and Arkansas State and um, two quarterbacks. A billion yards, but still a loss. Hell of a game. It was hell of a game. You know, it was a. It was one of those games where you, you were always clawing and fighting uh, from behind. Memphis, I, yeah, I'll just give it to them. They were stronger and faster than Arkansas State, and anything that Arkansas State could do to keep up with them, they did. They threw out the the sink and the kitchen sink, and they also threw out Lane Hatcher, who. After uh, two quarters, just wasn't giving him the spark. They brought in James Blackman, the Florida State transfer, and he immediately threw four touchdowns and a few big bombs, and he looked like a completely different quarterback than he looked against UCA. So there's a big conundrum at Arkansas State. You know, we're not even that bummed about losing to Memphis, given that performance and thinking about the future. And I think we've got Washington ahead of us, and we're really excited about that game, too. But, uh, but uh, Ben, I just wanted to let you know that a few years ago, A-State lost its first four games. And it was really a low point of my football life. And then the team went, ended up winning the conference by going uh, all out winning every single Sunbelt game. So there's still hope for the Panthers. You just got to stick with them. You know, forget I'll, about I'll, the I'll ESPN, FBI, and just move forward. Listen, I, I've been through much, much worse uh, covering an 0-11, 0-12 football team uh, when, when you're getting blown out and the games are over at halftime and everyone except the cheerleaders leave at halftime. Uh, yeah, I've been there, man. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a part of the growing pains. And, uh, you know, the, let's just say the Sean Elliott press conference today wasn't very long. So he didn't have a whole lot to say. He wasn't in the best of moods. And uh, we'll, we'll see. The, uh, the 49ers of Charlotte in town uh, this Saturday at Center Park Stadium here in Atlanta. By the way, Ben, I saw some incredible footage of Sean Elliott today uh, on the Fighting internet. Fighting players. 
Yeah, well, yeah, but like play fighting, like it was like, yeah, like no, no, Bob, I got in trouble for that. So, I mean, why are you celebrating this? <laughs> yeah, it, believe it or not, it's been something that he does. He usually picks out a player, and what's hysterical is uh, just you know the the Twitter verse thought that there was like legitimate beef uh, with with number seven, who's uh, DeAndre Bowman, uh, who is a former walk on who, who received a scholarship last year. Um, and, and Dre basically told everyone, no, I wanted a better shot. That's why I hit him again harder. So, um, you know, Sean is definitely a fiery guy. Uh, he, he usually picks out a couple guys to get him rallied up. I mean, it's better to go after a linebacker than like the long snap snapper, right? Like, I mean, it, you know what? We have a vibe to keep here. And, and, and you know, you got to remember, Sean's a former undersized defensive lineman. So he, he, he likes to get into it a little bit. Well, you know, I admire Sean's strength and gumption. I thought that was really cool. I was, it was too bad it wasn't enough to fire it up to win the game, but that was really that was a really cool uh, piece of footage. You also have to remember, after a touchdown against NC State, he tore a mouse of a tendon in his bicep celebrating a touchdown. So this is the same head coach. He needs to relax. A, a little Dusty, bit. It's, it's not going to happen, I promise you. What was your favorite game of the, uh, of the weekend, Dusty? Being the good old Louisiana guy, anytime you can kind of watch LSU struggle because they're always going to steal the thunder from every in-state school. Uh-huh. Already hearing how it's gone from Orgeron is, is the best thing ever since sliced bread to we need to get rid of him. We need a real coach. Definitely love that. You know, seeing Louisiana Lafayette and Louisiana Tech squeak out FCS wins. <laughs> another fantastic thing. But, you know, all these games – they don't really matter because they're all non-conference games. Sure, they put you in a little bit better position, but what really matters is beginning next week when conference starts. Preach it. If we win conference. Yes. We get to go to a bowl. Yes, that's what's important. And you know who controls the fate of all the Sunbelt teams and where they go for bowl games. Dusty, who controls the fate of Sunbelt bowl teams? Hopefully it's not Ben because he would give us all misinformation and we'd wind up in God only knows where. Stop but gambling on the Panthers. It's executive <laughs> director of the Boca Bowl, Doug Mosley, who joins us to talk about bowl games. Welcome in, Doug. Thank you very much. And for clarification purposes, I don't control all the Sunbelt's bowl bids. But I can tell you that, boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sunbelt these days. Because while you guys talk about the woes of this and that down and everything, I would tell you amongst bowl executive directors right now, the Sunbelt has really gotten our respect. Um, They have made a rise like, you know, it's it's really hard to compare. And I know that for a lot of people out there, the Sunbelt, you know, it's kind of like you too. You can name Bono and the Edge, but can you name the rest of them after Coastal Carolina and Louisiana? Louisiana Lafayette, that is. So, uh, and by the way, that's Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. And, um, you know, as for the Sun Belt, I mean, there's a lot of great teams in this league. You know, Georgia State is off to a tough start, and it's not going to get any easier in, in conference. Um, Troy, I mean, Troy had an unbelievable game against Liberty. It's not going to get any easier for them. Um you know, you, you talk about some of the – oh, and, and then Appy State, I watched them Saturday night in their game against Miami, and, man, they almost had it. I mean, they were right there. And, you know, and, and this is a Miami team that people are talking about the resurgence of the Canes. So, 
the league is doing really, really well. And I have a feeling the league is going to be rewarded when it comes bowl time. You know, Doug, I, I just want to add on to your praise of the Sun Belt with uh, some praise for South Alabama, who have not yes. only got a win against the MAC, but a win against CUSA. They're undefeated. They weren't convincing yep. against uh, Bowling Green, but they're 2-0, and and that's really cool. Uh, Texas State had a big win against FIU. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And Texas State's a, a program on the rise. So there's I was really, really impressed with that stuff. Texas State win, by the way, you know, to come down here and do that. And really, their defense looks so good in, in how they were able to do that and fight their way to the end and get into overtime. But you're right. I mean, South Al, a lot of people were really down on them. They weren't giving them a lot of credit. And, um, you know, Kane Womack's come in there. You know, you talk about they, they open with Southern Miss, a win there. They open, then they have the game at Bowling Green. And I don't know if you've ever been up there, but Bowling Green is not an easy place to play. And it seems to me like, you know, in both cases, if, if you want to beat South Al, you better let them score first because they like to get themselves in a hole. They were down to Southern Miss. They were down two scores to Bowling Green, albeit one of them a safety. And they come back and win both games. I mean, go figure. You know, so, you know, they're sitting at 2-0. and Coastal sitting at 2-0. and um, You know, you, you got uh, ULL sitting there at 1-1, one and one, you know, with just the Texas loss. Granted, they had a hard time with Nichols. But I think that we're going to see a lot of real positives out of these teams coming up. So with that said, though, Doug, when y'all start these conversations, I know that the Sunbelt has a tie-in with Boca, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a Sunbelt team will play there. In fact, in, in researching uh, the bowl game for the show, no Sunbelt team has played in the bowl game yet. What are the things that y'all really look at knowing that, yes, you are going to get the, the, the conference tie-in, so you might kind of have an idea or a pull of people that you're going to pull from, but you don't have a specific, hey, we're getting this team. Well, you know, for one thing, we went away from the whole – remember when it used to be – it was called slotting. You know, every year, year in, year out, a bowl might get, like, the runner-up in the ACC versus the third-place team in the SEC. And what happened is, is a lot of those games, because they were so rigidly determined, they weren't very good matchups. And they didn't work in the location where the bowl was. And at the end of the day, it didn't make for good TV. My bowl game that I'm, I oversee here is owned by ESPN. And ESPN is very much a – well, let's just say, in this day and age, you can't say just TV, can I? Let's say it's a media company. And we want good football games. We want great bowl games that are compelling from the get-go, from the matchup when we announce it. And we want a very competitive game throughout because we want a lot of eyeballs on that game. So that's why you see that we got away from slotting. Um, In our first uh, six years, we had agreements with the MAC Conference USA and the American. And then we've expanded that um, in our next six-year agreement to include all the group of five schools, plus most of the independents. So we've got a real wide range of schools we could put together. Now, how do we make those? You know, we don't have a committee get, that gets together anymore and votes on who we're going to send an invitation to. That, that just doesn't happen anymore. What we do is, is that we'll work really closely with Keith Gill, the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, and we'll say, you know, we may have, you know, Team A over here. You know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, just pick somebody out of the conference. You'll say maybe it's Marshall. You say, well, Marshall would be a great opponent for maybe we say it's Arkansas State. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a game that the two teams haven't played in. They may not have faced each other in a while. So it's a compelling matchup. 
And Boca Raton is a great place to come in December. So we think we'll have great fan turnout. It's just, it's that kind of thing. It's a negotiation the whole way. You know, the conferences want to see great results. You know, now they want to be put into games that, that they feel like they're going to win. I'll say that. And we got to tell them, well, it can't be just a walkover. You know, we want a, a compelling game. But it is kind of a – I guess you could even say it's like a dating process. You know, would you dance with this one if we were to bring this one over to dance with you? That kind of thing. Well, Doug, let me ask you this. You know, uh, I, I've been in – or I've just been a casual observer of the bowl process. And uh, Arkansas State went through a, a pretty big – uh, or uh, for us, a, a streak of bowl going that was fun to watch. And sometimes you would see a flurry of activity with the athletic director making phone calls and negotiating. What is going on? When do you start receiving phone calls from athletic directors? And what are they requesting from you, if anything? Uh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing of it is they they – want to be you know like FAU played Georgia Southern this week um I made sure and I went up and visited with the Georgia Southern AD and um you know we talked about because look you know Georgia Southern would be a great trip down here it's right down I-95 for them and Georgia Southern's had a great great program now you know they they played well of course they've had quarterback problems to start their season they really played well they're a very physical team but they got taken out of their game by FAU on Saturday and it was it's really a lot closer game than what the result came to be but I mean sure I went I talked with their AD you know we uh made sure that they know who I am and they and so that we can exchange communications and that and as the season goes on they may call me up and they say, hey, who else is looking to play in your game? And we may talk with people in the conference office, and they they will talk back and forth with the schools. And, you know, their AD may tell, you know, Commissioner Gill said, you know what, we really like the trip to Boca Raton. And while maybe they might not want to make that repeat trip this year, maybe next year they'd like to come back. You know, it's just like we had BYU in our game last year. And I used to always think that we wouldn't have a team that would be west of the Miss or very far west. We had SMU in the game too, and they did well. But BYU, you know, I mean, they're way out there in Utah. Well, BYU, the church, is the largest private landowner in the state of, of Florida. So they have a lot of people down here, and they wanted to come to Florida to play. They'd been down here before. They played in the old Miami Beach Bowl. And uh, they had a great turnout. You know, I, I, it was a shame that we were on a uh, reduced attendance for our uh, stadium because they would have filled it up time and time again. They, of course, they were a fantastic team. You know, Wilson was an amazing quarterback and uh, I'd love to have him back again. So it's, it's instances like that. You're talking about, you know, what makes sense for your school to go here, or go there. You know, SMU wanted to come here. Uh, the year that, uh, that they did because they wanted to recruit Florida more. Um, that's another key thing is, is that people like to get down here, get in front of the prospective student athletes that are available down here. There's a ton of them, you know, Arkansas state, you got the kid that came right here from the glades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it sounds to me, Doug, what you're saying is that it's not just wins and losses that determine how the, the bowls are set up. There's a lot of marketing involved and, but there's also a lot of recruiting involved and then there's logistics involved too. Like having a San Diego state coming to the Boca Raton bowl may or may be a pretty tough thing to happen, but you said that with, with a, uh, with a BYU, it worked out just fine. So is that BYU even a consideration? Yep. Yeah, and, and fit is probably the best term. 
you know, um, you know, what makes that team work in our market? You know, some teams may not be interested in playing here. You know, I, I know, um, you know, there's some schools that like recruit Texas a lot heavier than Florida. So when they are looking to get to a bowl game, they're looking to get to Texas instead of come to Florida. So it's those kind of things, those kind of questions that, uh, that kind of come up and you discuss and communicate amongst each other. Doug, I did have a question. You mentioned 2020 and obviously the, uh, the limited attendance. Uh, we, we have already seen some bowls uh, almost opt out of 2021, and we know the financial ramifications of that. Uh, you have a strong partner, obviously, in ESPN uh, there, uh, stronger than some other bowls. Do, do you see uh, you having more, you know, I guess, teams to pick from, to choose from uh, this go-round with the possibilities of, of so many teams potentially having six or more wins this year with the, with the bowls potentially shrinking? That's a valid point, but I think what really comes down to is, is that can you put those teams in a place where, number one, they enjoy the trip, their kids enjoy the trip, their, their boosters and fans enjoy the trip? Is it a business trip? Are they going to be able to make recruiting inroads while we're, while they're down here? Um, so it kind of becomes then who wants to get in the game? Um, there's some years, I mean, you know, I spent a lot, a lot of years out in the schools before I took this role. I got a lot of friends out there that are all disappointed that I've never been able to get their team in my bowl game. Um, they'd love to be here, but it just hasn't happened for them. Um, so it's, it is, it's, it's, it's a mix. It, it really is. And it's all kind of, you know, what clicks together and what unlocks the lock. Obviously your game is on the campus of FAU. Do the local schools like a FAU FIU have a, upper hand in getting into that game? Because it's not just your bowl. I mean, a lot of them are, are you know, within earshot of different colleges with tie-ins. Do they, do they get the upper hand? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Every time Conference USA has been in our goal, it's been the conference champion. So they have an upper hand if they are the conference champion. So um, they – obviously it's a preferred destination for them because it allows them – you know, they get the practices that they want. It gets them kind of that – that extended recruiting look, but it's not an automatic. Um, you know, FAU had to win the conference those two years they have played in our game. Doug, you said that you went down to the Georgia Southern uh, FAU game. How many games do you watch a year? I mean, in person. I'm not talking about just sitting on your couch. Do you go down to a lot of games in person? So I about every week, if uh, if there's a team playing at – Granted, every time FAU is going to play at home, I'm going to go to the game because it's going to be either them or a Conference USA opponent or somebody that could that would liable to be in our game. Um, I tried to get down to FIU to see some games. I I really wanted to – the timing just didn't work out for me to be able to get down to see that Texas State team against FIU. But I was able to watch them on the stream later on, and I was kicking myself. I was like, I should have at least gone down for the second half. I'd have loved to have gone down to Miami and watch that Appy State game. I mean, I was so impressed with Appy State, that quarterback, the the uh, young man they brought in from Duke, um, uh, Chase Bryce. Chase Bryce. Looked really good. I mean, and, you know, you think about the rushing attack that App State has, and now you put a quarterback like him in there. You know, I, I think it's not an automatic for those guys at the top. App State is going to have a heck of a, a year. So I try and get to see as many games. I, it, you know, an ideal week for me is if one of them's playing on Thursday night and I can get a game on Thursday and Saturday because there's nothing like seeing them in person mm-hmm. and, and being able, not just seeing them, but being able to go see their administrators and make sure you've got an open communication with them and relationship. How big of a factor does 
uh, fan interaction play? Do you like monitor social media and look to see how fans react? Do you ever, when you're watching the stream, like do you look into the stands and see how many people are there? Is it, does that factor at all? Or there, or is that like, no, the, the people are going to come no matter what. It, it's, it's a piece of it. I want to make sure that they've got a great fan following. Um, you know, a lot of that though, you can tell about with their administration, you know, how in tune are they with reaching their fan base? Do they know who their fan base is? Um, know how to get in front of them, know what the, you know, where they want to go, you know, um, uh, if a school's been to a bowl game two and three times, they may not want to go back to that bowl game. They want, might want a fresh location to go to. So, you know, I look, I, I, you know, a lot of times I'll ask them what their season ticket base is because you can almost do the math on what their base is and what they'll probably sell through on, on the first time. Um, I'll tell you another big one. Like, I'll give you an example of Temple University. Uh, when Matt Rule was the head coach there, we had Temple in our game, and they had a great turnout. Not so much that they brought a great crowd from Philadelphia, but there were so many Temple alums down here in South Florida. Hmm. So Temple Temple turned out in huge numbers. You know, Memphis, I, I didn't anticipate how good a crowd Memphis was going to take, but I had listened to their people. I say on the front end, I didn't, but I listened to their administrators tell me about how many Memphis people were down here, either retirees and that, and that they were still very involved with the kind of the new resurgence of that program. So it wasn't a surprise that we got to game day that day, and there was a ton of Memphis people in the stands. How much do ticket sales, obviously, since that is the big moneymaker, have to do with uh, who you choose as well? And, and then what's kind of how, do, how does that payout work? Because you always see, you know, hey, if we go to this bowl game, they're going to give us a half million dollars. Well, do you really cut a check for half a million or is it kind of based on ticket sales? How, does, how exactly does that side of it work? So first things first, you know, the the check goes to the conference and then the conference, it goes into the distribution to the schools. And of course the schools that make bowl games get an initial disbursement from the conference to cover expenses and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, for, I think almost all of us, I can't speak for every bowl game, but I know that, you know, the ability for them to sell tickets into the bowl game is, is part of what the school revenues are, you know, so they'll have the ability to sell, you know, a block of tickets, to their fans and typically those go pretty quick because they have those people that are going to travel with them to games and that I wouldn't say Dusty that it is a a primary consideration Um, we want to make sure that we give them every opportunity in that but you know I just you know in the case of like you know let's say a team finishes a regular season plays a conference championship game and then two weeks later they're coming to play in our game so that's a lot of travel at the end of their year so I don't necessarily you know hold it against them or anything like that. It's uh, it's a, a lot of it is too about, you know, how many eyeballs are going to turn out at the end of the day, we're, we're a media company, right? And it's important to have the fans in the stand so that you have that, that feel of a game and everything. And we sure push a lot of tickets into our community here, but we want to make sure people are watching the game at TV too. Hey, Doug, do you ever have a situation where you've selected two teams? And you kind of let them know it's not public yet, but you let them know we want you guys. We've invited you guys in, and one of those teams says, "There's no way in hell I'm going to show up on the field with these guys. You're going to have to make it. You're going to have to choose somebody else." Has that ever happened? 
you know, you got to be a better matchmaker than that. (laughs) (laughs) You you have an idea. I mean, look, teams will tell you, Hey, we don't want to play those guys. Um, (laughs) You know, so you'll have an idea going in. So you don't get to the part where somebody's having to turn you down. Um, You know, it's, uh, it's more along the lines of, Hey, if we were able to do this, would this be of interest to you? Mm. Even if they're 30 minutes down the road. Yeah, even if they're 30 minutes, even if they play, even if they make a home in the visitor or the home locker room at the stadium. So, yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting that you said that. So, th- could you get, a, is there a situation where an athletic director would say to you, you know what, we, me and us and Team X have similar uh, records. We really hate each other. It would be great <laughs> if it, we can come together at this bowl game. Is that something that you would listen to, or is that, or are you already? It would be. It, it usually is not going to be staged in, in kind of those terms. They're not going to put it those way. <laughs> but what they will say is, "Oh boy, we're we're sure looking for a game that, you know, against this kind of team or something like this." You know what it really comes down to? More than likely, they'll just say, "You know, we'd really like to get into this area of the company or country for a bowl game." That's kind of how it comes down. A big guy that was instrumental in getting the FAU program up and going, getting them the brand new stadium that hosts your bowl game, getting the bowl game there, the legendary Howard Schnellenberger. And I saw where y'all just recently renamed y'all's championship trophy for him. How great was Howard? Cause I know, I know you hung out with him a lot. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, I really didn't know Howard until I met him at, at Sunbelt Media Days back when I was doing radio with ULM. And, you know, Howard was obviously there as the head coach at FAU. And Katrina McCormick, who still serves as the SID at FAU, had been – I had been the venue press chief at the 96 Olympic Games at one of the venues, and Katrina had worked with me. And so we had a friendship, and Katrina introduced me to Howard. And we just hit it off from the get-go. So when I got down here to do this bowl game, and Howard remembered me, and we became very close. And, you know, my family knew Howard very well. My children knew him really well. Howard was always on me about when are you bringing the kids by to see me, that kind of thing. You know, here was a guy. I think one of the true disservices in college football is the fact that Howard is kept out of the Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, because they have a hard limit on winning percentage for coaches. And Howard went into a lot of situations, you know, he took rebuilding jobs. I mean, if you think about where Miami was when he took that job and took him to a national championship, you think about where Louisville was when he went into there and built Louisville up into what they became. And then of course, started the program at FAU. So I think, um, I just wish that there was a way, because I think it's a shame that he is not in the college football hall of fame because he's certainly legendary to me. Um, you know, I just traded messages with his wife, Beverly, today, even. We had a um, an event for him on Friday night here, you know, at FAU. And a lot of people came back to speak in that. We announced that we were naming our, our game trophy for, for coach. He, uh, I can't believe he's gone. I feel guilty that he got on me. And, and you know, and coach was somebody, too. I mean, you know, coach, he was kind of gruff, and he'd kind of cuff you around a little bit and everything. But, uh we were kind of in the midst of the pandemic and he was like, he always, Howard was big on going to breakfast. We would, I mean, all these breakfast places here in town and that, 
we would go to all kinds of different ones. And of course, if you ever went to breakfast with Howard, you knew it was going to be a two-hour affair because you were just going to get mobbed with fans. But Howard was on me. He says, we haven't been to breakfast in a while. You haven't brought those kids by to see me. You know, what's going on? And I'm like, coach, there's no way I'm coming by during this pandemic. I mean, this was before vaccinations were out. I said, if you got this virus, I would never forgive myself if I thought that I could have introduced it to you in any way. And I regret the fact that that was the last time I talked with him. Um, and of course, you know, I, it wasn't long after that he'd fallen and that he was in hospice care at, for a while. And he was, he was truly one of the legends, you know, I mean, look, there's, you know, I, I shared with you earlier, you know, how is it Cincinnati with Butch Jones and I have an immense respect for Butch. And I think Butch is going to do a great job at Arkansas state and Terry Bowden, I knew Terry, Terry actually came down here, you know, with Akron and played in our game. And I have great respect for Terry and, and, you know, the thing for him right now, Terry's just got to get that losing streak, just somehow, some way, just get that stop so that they can build on from that. It's not going to be easy, but look, if there's anybody, I mean, when he got that job, I sent him a note of congratulations. And I have great respect and admiration for those people, but I have true love for Howard Stellenberger. He was incredible. Absolutely incredible. The best, the best. What's your best story that you can share that's not incriminating? Uh, (laughs) Howard? (laughs) You know, no, I'll tell you, I'll give you this story. And this goes back before I really knew him all that well. I mean, you went to media days. You always see Howard there. He was always wearing those ankle boots, unzipped. And I asked him about that one time, and he goes, my gosh, I'm the age where I can wear whatever the hell I want, and it's comfortable. <laughs> I was just coach, you know. We, were, we had him, like, when we first started here, we got – they have a holiday parade here at Boca Raton, and they were – you know how it is. They're telling me, hey, you know, we need you to guys to have a, a representation in the parade, and there's 60,000 people that line a parade route. I'm like – yeah, whatever. And so we did the parade that first year. I was like, holy crap, there really are 60,000 people. But Howard was riding in the car in the parade. And I had my daughter, Katie. And remember, Katie, Katie was born in Monroe. Mm-hmm. So Katie was probably about a second grader then. And I had her walking alongside the car, giving out candy and everything. Howard's like, what do you got that little girl down there walking along the parade route while your fat butt's in there driving the car? <laughs> Coach, she can't exactly drive the car. So, but that's Howard. That, that's Howard. I loved him to death. Absolutely loved him. Doug, I have a really goofy question. One of the things that fascinates me during bowl season is the revelation of the gift bags. Every bowl has a gift bag for the athletes. And I'm always like, what's in the gift bag for this one? And what's in the gift bag for that? And some, some are really cool. And some are like, eh, it could be better. Who's in charge of the gift bags at the Boca Raton Bowl? You know, I, would you like to be? <laughs> hey, well, if I can get some of the swag, yeah, sure. That would be great. <laughs> so, you know, the NCAA says that we can give the student athletes a certain amount of merchandise. So, you know, you can't necessarily give them you know, any kind of money or compensation like that, but you can give them bowl gifts. And like uh, – Goodness, like I'll tell you what, like I remember when we went to the Liberty Bowl with Cincinnati, they just said they basically turned our kids loose in the uh, Best Buy and, and told them they could have that limit. And I can't remember what the limit was then. It was $550 now. 
So what we do now is, is we kind of do a mix of locally branded items. Like we might do a beach towel or caps or different things for them to remember the game by. We always do a logo football um, with the matchup on it. And um, then we uh, usually like do a gift suite for them. Um, and what that is, is there's companies that'll put together like uh, various items within a, uh, and we do it online that, the kids can choose from, but what's neat about those is, is that a lot of times they're practical things that they can choose that they can use as a Christmas gift for their family. So that's always real popular with them, but that's, it's kind of the reward for playing in the bowl game for the kids. And um, we try and make it, you know, something interesting, something they can remember the game by, and then um, something that's very practical for them. Well, if you have any leftover, I know the Funville podcast (laughs) crew could probably take those off your hands. So all right, you know, we can give I you might have some ones that are still branded Cherubundi I could send you. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> sure. You know, because that's how, it, you know, title sponsors, particularly nowadays with, with bowl games like ours, you know, emerging companies are typically a lot of your title sponsors. And, you know, you'll get to the end of an agreement with one and maybe they'll re-up with you. I know Cherubundi was really interested in, in re-upping with us. But uh, then at the last minute with their investors, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they dropped and immediately here comes roof claim and uh, roofclaim.com Boca Raton bowl is what it is now. So all that stuff that says chair Bundy Boca Raton bowl. I, I got a closet right over there. <laughs> I think I a duffel bag or something. Yeah. Just there you go. There you go. A duffel bag you can fill up. <laughs> there you go. I, tell you what, you come down here. I'll save you a beach chair and I'll bring you some swag. Yes. All right. Got a connection in Florida. That's awesome. There you go. <laughs> That was fantastic, Doug. Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll finally get a Sunbelt team in this year and we can have you back to kind of preview that matchup. You know, seriously, I mean, with the way the conference looks, I really thought Georgia Southern would give and – and I didn't realize going in the problems Georgia Southern had with their quarterback. And in the end, it showed. But, boy, they played a good physical game. They, they really looked good. I, I just think that there's a lot of depth and quality in this Sunbelt right now. So we wrapped up week number two in the Sun Belt. Ooh, it was rough. It was a great Friday night when Coastal Carolina wound up beating Kansas for the second year in a row. And they covered. Uh, yeah, I mean, they did. Uh, for, for you heathens like, like Ben, just don't take Ben's betting advice. Trust me. Oh. <laughs> hey, I got told a long time ago, good, good teams win, great teams cover. Yes, that's and, it. Yeah. And that would make uh, some of the teams I bet on great teams because they did cover. I did appreciate that. <laughs> you know, it, it's all a matter of what button you, you click in theory. <laughs> anyway, the Mountain West was the winner of the week, eight and three, 72% winning percentage. American goes six and five, Sunbelt four and five, Conference USA six and eight, and the poor Mac of the week, three and nine. As we said, Coastal Carolina got the week started going 49 to 22 over Kansas, Grayson McCall, I mean, you, you can't say it enough that, that he is the legit quarterback and, and definitely living up to the hype of being the face of the league. Three touchdowns, two passing, another one rushing, 245 yards passing, and, of course, Havion Hiley, which Joe from the Chanticleers told us about was going to be the legit thing. Six receptions, 122 yards. Yeah, you know, Sean the Clears have looked pretty good, but they haven't really been tested yet. You know, they, they start off with the Citadel, have the blowout win, 
They, they get Kansas the weakest, probably the weakest team in the Power Five. They, again, get to play that in Conway. So they're really not getting the big test yet. Uh, I, I don't suspect that they have really any big test coming up until wait, – wait, who are they playing this week? What's their – it's Buffalo. Uh, yeah, that might be their biggest test to date. Having to go up all the way up to Buffalo, a team that has been known to play some very big games and have some big wins against uh, big teams – it's still a Mac team, the Mac struggle, as you, as you pointed out in week two. I imagine they'll be struggling all year. Although to me, that might be their first really big test for the for Coastal Carolina. And, what, and a noon kick, which we, we have seen, and, and, you know, certainly the last few years, uh, noon kicks do weird things. You see some, you know, things like that, um, you know, especially on the road, um, you know, Coastal going up to Buffalo, Um rather be playing there basically in September than probably November. Um, but it's still going to be an interesting matchup um, there. And as you guys mentioned, I mean, just uh, Grayson McCall at the controls is, is just I mean, lights out. I mean, it seems like you can almost pencil in, uh, you know, 35, 40 points a night every time they, they line up, but very, very interesting to see Buffalo. I mean, they're, they're, I believe the favorite in the Mac and those they're getting uh, votes in both polls last time I checked. What do you think it means if coastal does lose to Buffalo is, 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 is it midnight on, on the Cinderella story? Are they then in the others receiving votes and falling out? Or do you think that uh, the voters will see that Buff, uh, Buffalo is a, a decent team that, you know, maybe they were just better this upcoming Saturday? You know the reality of that, Dusty. It, it, once a Sunbelt team loses, oh, they must have sucked this entire time. What a bunch of losers. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if any team, if any Sunbelt team survives a, a loss, especially to a G5. But uh, if any team can do that, it might be Coastal Carolina because there does seem to be a lot of, uh, of good feels uh, nationally for Coastal Carolina. But I don't see them losing against Buffalo. But we'll yeah, see. I don't think so either. I'm just looking for them to actually get tested. I mean, we, we haven't, like we talked about, you know, they, they weren't tested against the Citadel at all. Uh, the Kansas game wasn't even close. Um, you know, see, seeing them actually take a punch to the mouth, and we didn't really see that. Um, you know, haven't seen it this year, but they were able to respond to adversity over and over again in 2020. You know, pulling out close wins, and and you know, whether it was at the home at home or the road. So, uh, interested to see uh, what they look like, and and the best thing for them. Obviously, they have two victories under their belt, and, and kind of know a little bit more about themselves offensively and defensively. Ben's Georgia Southern team went down to South Florida, home of the Boca Bowl at FAU's campus, gave up 541 yards to the Owls and had two turnovers. It was ugly. Um, 38-6 was the final, but it, it didn't even feel like it was really that close of a game. You know, Doug was saying that he thought it was a closer game than it appeared, and I didn't get to see the game. You know, I'm just looking at the stats and looking at the reaction from the fan base who seem ready to, to, to just give up on the team. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm a, a, a fan baptized in beautiful Eagle Creek and I see these last two games, I am completely dismayed. I mean, there was never a time when Georgia Southern would take a beating like that at the hands of the FAU. So it, it's, it just seems like a, a just sad times. Now, I know that they, they've had the quarterback issue. I think their uh, starting quarterback, whose name escapes me, gets to start for Arkansas against Arkansas, number 20 Arkansas this, this, this weekend. I don't know if it makes a difference. I, I can't see it making a difference. This team just doesn't seem to have what it needs to compete. Uh, may, maybe Ben has, has been keeping a closer eye on them, but I, I just can't really see it happening. 
Yeah, it just comes down to the offensive line play. You know, it was really a struggle last year. Um, you know, they, they made a change there, uh, not only on their offense coordinator, but offensive line as well. Um, when, when you run the the spread option, they're going to run. And you guys mentioned, I mean, Justin Tomlin's coming back uh, off of his academic suspension, uh, basically for not having enough credit hours. Uh, good job academic advisement team down there in Statesboro, uh, making sure everyone's taken care of. Uh, oh, by the way, you mentioned LSU a little bit earlier, Dusty. I think the same thing happened to their star running back. So uh, he registered for the wrong classes. Yes, it's <laughs> it's um, it's kind of amazing because uh, from what I understand, they typically do that for the athletes. Here's your schedule. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's it's interesting to see. Obviously, they they struggled last year. One of the worst uh, you know offenses in the nation. Um, I think you know obviously you got to have a quarterback to run that offense. Um, we knew that was a storyline pretty much, you know, all offseason coming in and and kind of to settle on Justin Tomlin, who missed these first two games. Um, I think it's just the way they lost. It wasn't, you know, if it was a if it was a field goal game, you go and lose a road game. It's one thing uh, getting blown out on the road and looking pretty terrible doing it. Um, I think, you know, certainly the folks down there in Eagle Nation are not thrilled with that result. And, and uh, I know uh, the, their power five game. You know, first power five game basically this season comes up and, and they've got a got a big one over a ranked team and, and they traditionally have not done well uh, since their SEC big SEC victory over a terrible Florida team back in the day. Uh, they have pretty much gotten routed every time they played an SEC team the last few years. So um, it's going to be interesting. And then they come back and dive right into conference with Louisiana Lafayette at home as well. So uh, they certainly could be smarting for a couple of weeks. I still think that there's a chance that Arkansas is still on cloud nine and, and maybe overlooks Georgia Southern. I, I don't think Georgia Southern wins the game, but I, I think that they get some cheap, easy points out of that. You know, Arkansas does have a, a sort of history of having big letdown games after big win games. I don't know if Georgia Southern's ready to take advantage of that. Having the, the, the starting quarterback come back for that game, might aid in that. And quite frankly, Arkansas has never done well against uh, teams that play funky offenses like the triple option. Uh, I, that's what kind of surprises me the most, Ben, about uh, Georgia Southern's performance these first two games. Usually that triple option just makes you look so dumb at the beginning of the year. There's no real film. There's nothing to really compare it to. You know, nobody's used to it. Nobody wants it. And for whatever reason, it's those. It's just the scheme is just not working for Georgia Southern. I don't think it works for Arkansas, who will be bigger, stronger, faster in every way. But yeah, you're right. That's one of those trap games where uh, Georgia Southern could find a sneaky way. But I, I think it'd be a, a bit of a miracle. South Alabama, speaking of miracles, pulled it out. Ten points in the last minute, forty of the game, capped off with a forty-four yard field goal to stay undefeated. They might not be the best team in the Sun Belt, but they are the it team right now in the Sun Belt. Whatever the no, it is, they have it. They're not the best team. No, nobody's going to say, oh, Georgia, uh, uh, South Alabama's about to roll. But there is something legit about South Alabama right now. They've got the hot head coach. They've got the brand-new stadium. And they got two out-of-conference wins against the CUSA and the MAC. Uh, they just have something about them. They've got Colbert at wide receiver, who's a legit star. That guy, he is fun to watch. He is impossible to stop. You just have to let him get his points. Uh, I, uh, so anyway, they should blow past Alcorn State, be 3-0. and They're going to have a great start to the season. Uh, that's pretty good news for Kane Lomet. 
Got, got, a, got a veteran quarterback. You know, we, we talked about the quarterback problems before, but obviously with Jordan Southern, uh, South Alabama has a very experienced quarterback, and I think that shows when you when you get in these tight games, uh, you need a guy that's played a lot of football. Jake Bentley has certainly done that, uh, uh, you know, played a ton um, there, uh, you know. So uh, I'm interested to see how they continue to progress. We know defensively what they're going to be. That's going to be the focus of the head coach and defense coordinator there with Kane. So, uh, I, you know, it was one of those – one of those programs that a lot of folks were were probably pushing to the side and saying, "Hey, maybe give them a year or two to get their footing." But um, they're they're going to be a tough tough you know nut to crack this season, and I think they're going to give a lot of Sun Belt teams trouble. I really thought Appalachian State had it against number twenty two Miami. They fell the twenty five twenty three. The People's Champ, <laughs> Cam, Cam Run Peoples, ninety five yards and a TD. The big difference was. Whatever the hell happened where they lost 26 yards and got a safety, I didn't even see the play. I just saw the ball in the end zone and then the ref doing the good old safety dance, and that was really the difference. And and I think that came early enough in the game that that really shifted the momentum where the Mountaineers looked like they had turned the corner and were – really taking over the game. And then that happened. And it's like, what, what, what just happened? And they never recovered. Yeah. And that was a shame that uh, Appalachian state couldn't come down to Miami and pull that one out. In fact, I think they had a little more than two minutes uh, after that last score, or I guess it was a field goal from Miami for Miami to go to go ahead. And I felt like at that time, well, that's plenty of time for Chase Bryce uh, to lead that offense, get that field goal, come away with that win. It would have been a nice feather in the cap, not just for Appalachian State, but for the Sun Belt. And it just didn't quite happen. But still, I thought Appalachian State acquitted themselves very well, even in the loss. Cameron Peoples is definitely a, 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 a running back star for the Sun Belt, becoming a national brand. That guy is just, he's just built like a monster truck. So uh, I, I even like watching him play. And I, quite frankly, we're going to see Appalachian State in a few weeks. And I don't want the last guy I want to see is Cameron Peoples. Yeah, I think I, they have who they have. Do they have Elon? Is that what they have this week? Yeah, I, they should have a nice bounce back game against Elon. Yeah, that, that, should, be, maybe. that, that <laughs> should be that should be a get healthy game. And, and from what I saw from uh, App State on Twitter, that they have uh, nearly sold out. Um, their, their, their allotment for tickets for this weekend. So it should be a great crowd um, there. And I, I agree with what you guys have said. I mean, they're just pretty impressive. Um, there wasn't a team speed difference. I think that's the biggest thing that you kind of look and you expect from a, you know, a Miami team um, with a bunch of South Florida athletes. Hey, uh, seeing Jalen Virgil run by the Miami de- defenders there. Um, he's a name that's good. The South, uh, that folks in the Sun Belt are going to get used to. Uh, Corey Sutton had a, had a decent game as well. A guy that, you know, set out 2020 and, um, you know, he's, he's going to be a factor. And um, it, again, they're going to get healthy this weekend. And, and, and here comes App. I mean, they're, they're, again, they were the preseason, you know, pick the click there in the Sunbelt East uh, with Coastal as well. So I uh, expect uh, good things for them for sure. If Appalachian State ends up in the AP top 25 or the, uh, uh, the committee top 25, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I just think they have all the, the pieces to make that happen. We had our first free football of the weekend where Texas State got the overtime win at FIU. Bobcat defense gave up 400 yards but got three turnovers. I still don't think we really know what this Bobcat team can or can't do. Uh, they've done enough to be competitive. 
They've done enough to get the wins, but I, I don't think that we can say the Bobcats are good, bad, or really indifferent. They're just kind of the Bobcats, which they did have the best 9-11 helmet logo of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, that thing was sweet. But I'll tell you what the one thing about the Bobcats, and for some reason I'm always high on the Bobcats. I don't know why. They're, I, I feel like they're just in position to do good every year, and every year they don't. It's because they're your rival. I know. They're my hated rival, the Texas Bobcats. Those sons of bitches! Anyway, so uh, the Texas Bobcats, they, they, they come away with this win, but the, 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 the beauty about the win for the Bobcats, it is an overtime win. That's a grown-up win. It's a win against a, a peer conference opponent. That's a grown-up win. That was a win that maybe the Bobcats don't get in, in years past. Uh, they, they, stayed, they stayed tough. Things didn't work out for them in the beginning. Uh, they brought it back, and now they're, uh, what, one and one? After a tough loss to, of all people, Baylor. So I feel like the team is getting tougher. And by the time conference play rolls around, you will not want to see the Bobcats. Yeah, I think they definitely show some big-time resiliency, capitalize um, you know, on three FIU turnovers. And, and a road win, I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, Good teams went on the road. Um, and I agree with you, Dusty. You don't, we don't really know if they're good or not, but uh, certainly entertaining. And they have the, uh, the, the uh, fine folks from Incarnate Word uh, visiting. <laughs> Uh, Sam Marcus uh, this weekend. Troy, they didn't look very good against Liberty. I, I, I know it was a close game of 21-13, but with 21 rushing yards, uh, the aerial tax there, but four of 11 on third down conversions, they just put themselves in too many third and longs and just unable to convert. If they can't fix that, they will be still at the bottom end of the Sunbelt West. And, and so – I, I, I don't know. I, I think Troy is, is still a good team. They still got some things to show, but I just don't think that they uh, had a good show in there against Liberty. And Liberty really didn't even look that great, to be honest. You know, uh, I, I, I have yet to be sold on Troy this year. There's a, there are a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, Troy. Troy's going to be tough. Troy's going to do what they usually do and win some big games. I feel like offensively, I think it showed. I don't think it's, they're there, but defensively, they, they came away with about five sacks, I think 10 uh, uh, tackles for a loss in that game. So against the Hugh Free, Freeze offense, the defense is still pretty stout. It's, it's, there's just something going on with that offense, at least that, that, that night against Liberty, that, that just wasn't clicking. I really need more data for, uh, uh, for Troy. Liberty's just a tough team to play. Uh, I was hoping that Troy would do a better job with Liberty. They did keep it close. It sounds like, Dusty, you kept a closer eye on the game than I did. I think you saw, uh, got to see a lot more of it. But I was, I was impressed with the statistics uh, on the defensive side of the ball for Troy. Yeah, Troy, we, we knew Troy had a, had a really good defense. Uh, you know, it's just kind of funny how you go into a matchup uh, and you think, all right, good play callers, right? Chip Lindsay, Troy, uh, Hugh Freeze there at Liberty, and, and you get a 21-13 game. You know, you're, you're expecting uh, the almost the Arkansas State-type score uh, with those with those two uh, offensive minds there. But um, it is still early in the season, and things, you know, certainly were misfiring. Uh, interested to see how they, you know, we were talking about South Alabama, you know, matching up with Southern Miss. How now does does Troy look, you know, in, in week three? A basketball game broke out there in Jonesboro with Memphis and Arkansas State. Uh, Arkansas State lost both the basketball and football game, 55 to 50. But I'll tell you, Arkansas State continues to impress me. 681 yards of total offense. I've, I looked nowhere near 
the Red Wolves' record of 781 yards against ULM in 2017. What a game that was. I'm talking, Jeremy. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just saying that was a great game against ULM, but go on. Um, But, I mean, this offense to me is just lethal. And if they can just get some breaks, they need a little bit of that South Alabama luck, swag, it factor and Arkansas State is is to me showing that they are definitely the second team in the West. I think Louisiana Lafayette still has has that to go uh, to win the West, but Arkansas State's legit, man. Yeah, you know the offense is good. Uh, I think we the 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 wide receivers are just outstanding this year. You've got two uh, quarterbacks that can start at any time and, and make some noise. The problem is figuring out which quarterback's going to be good and which quarterback's going to be mediocre. We'll see against Washington who goes. It's probably going to be James Blackman, but Butch Jones always confuses me. What what Jones is trying to do on the defense is when he walked into the, the locker room when he was first hired, that was the first thing he wanted to do, revamp that defense. It wasn't physical up front. It wasn't very fast. And that's where the Red Wolves were getting beat all the time. So when you watch the game against Memphis, you'll see – uh, the defensive line putting pressure on the quarterback. They put pressure, they put pressure, they put pressure. As a result, they miss, ended up uh, getting a lot of big plays put against them. Memphis is bigger. Memphis is faster. They had a great uh, running back. They had a great uh, uh, wide receiver out there. It turned into a shooting match that uh, Red Wolves didn't have enough ammunition for. But at the end of the night, uh, not many people were unhappy with the game. We wanted the win but we like what we're seeing develop on the field and with this team. So when we go up against Washington this week, uh, we're actually expecting to do quite well. Yeah, I think it's a big opportunity, uh, obviously, for, for Butch Jones and, and, and that offense. And, and I can tell you, um, you know, the Washington coaching staff has to worry about that. Um, you know, looking at the first two games, putting up the amount of points that this offense does, um, you know, I, and, and got two, two Memphis turnovers, I believe, uh, to with that. You know, anytime you're generating some level of turnovers, uh, I think it's a good thing and, and uh, very interested to see uh, once they travel to uh, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, always a tough trip going all the way up to the West Coast. It's 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 never good for the visiting team. So I, I give it that caveat. If if the Red Wolves perform poorly, I, I will just be able to point to that long pl- plane trip and then move on to the next game. Louisiana Lafayette, they – Almost became the first Sunbelt team to lose to an FCS team this weekend, struggling with in-state rival Nichols. Levi Lewis still continued to look impressive, but Nichols transfer quarterback, Lindsey Scott, 359 yards, 121 rushing. Wow. I mean, Nichols won every stat, but the Cajuns won the scoreboard, which I guess is all that matters at the end. Yeah, we were talking about letdown games. Was Is Arkansas going to let down their guard when Georgia Southern comes in? I wonder if maybe Louisiana let down their Louisiana Lafayette let down their guard when uh, when uh, Nichols came in. But I, what was funny it was the news that kind of came out today was that not only was the game kind of a bit of a disappointment for the Cajuns, but the athletic directors out there apologizing for the concession stand services. So apparently it was difficult to get a hot dog and a win. At, at the Cajun uh, 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 field on uh, on Saturday. So I feel, I guess they got a couple of things they got to work on with the Cajuns, but hopefully, or 
I guess hopefully for some, hopefully for the Sun Belt, the Cajuns figure it out because right now the Cajuns don't look like a top twenty-five team. No, not, not at all. And, and uh, you mentioned Lindsey Scott. He is a uh, famous uh, son of Lindsey Scott around the parts uh, where I live. That's of course Lindsey Scott Jr., uh, the famous wide receiver who who uh, Larry Munson called Run Lindsey Run uh, <laughs> down there in Jacksonville with UJ's national championship team. Uh, so I know the folks uh, in this neck of the woods were probably rooting for Nichols. Uh, and Lindsey Scott Jr. But but yeah, I, I think it's you you see these games and, and you know we still are dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. I mean, they're going to get up. They're going to be up for a Texas game. They're going to be down for an in-state team, which they feel like hey, I should be able to roll against. And um, you know, definitely a, a, an opportunity to to learn and and grow uh, for Billy Napier and his staff. And, and realizing hey, look, you have a senior laden team and a senior quarterback, as you guys mentioned. Um, you got to kind of buoy that and keep emotions. Uh, on the level if, if this team's going to compete uh, for a Sunbelt title. The nightcap, the powder blue beat the royal blue. Panthers 90 yards passing, gave up 607 yards. Ben, it was horrible. I mean, I wish I, wish I could sugarcoat it. It was a bad, 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 bad game. Yeah, it was. And, you know, 24-10 at halftime, um, there, there was a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, there was some encouraging signs. The Panthers had a 17-play drive, really kind of imposed their will along the line of scrimmage, uh, had stopped uh, Sam Howell and the Tar Heel offense a couple times uh, there. Uh, kind of an inexplicable uh, fourth and 15 from basically their own 15-yard line, uh, you know, try to execute a fake punt. I asked, uh, you know, Coach Elliott about that this morning on his uh, – his uh, you know weekly meet, meeting with uh, with the media, and he said he would do it again. He was trying to be aggressive, and uh, basically, if it was pitched, I guess a, a step earlier, he thought there was a, a lane there. Uh, just wonder about gambling like that uh, with a team with with the you know offensive firepower in North Carolina. But uh, Sam Howe got healthy, he ran for over 100 yards, threw for 300 yards, uh, five touchdowns, and and looked like the guy that you know a lot of people think uh, is going to be drafted in the first round. Uh, he's got weapons and and got opportunities to uh, to show those off. Uh, some of the Panthers. You know, six players who were missing uh, due to, you know, uh, COVID protocols basically in week one were back. Uh, Coach Elliott says some of them, because they were in quarantine, basically didn't get to practice for about a week or so. So they had to, uh, you know, f- figure things out and, and, you know, get basically in game shape. And a couple of those guys did not look great. And so they're looking forward to, to practicing this week and then hosting uh, a 2-0 Charlotte team who has an ACC win already on their on their um, agenda. So I'm um, excited to see how that one turns out Saturday night. Uh, for some reason, the Panthers are four-point favorites. I have no idea. Again, don't bet the Panthers, Jeremy, or Dusty. That's my so, best of you both. Bet the Panthers. Okay, I'm going to go do that tonight. But I, I, you know, I didn't get to see the game. I was kind of monitoring it through Twitter and uh, – I could see some of the dismay and some of the uh, some of the Georgia Panthers or uh, Georgia State Panther fans, uh, but we all remember too that North Carolina was considered one of the very top teams in the ACC. Now they kind of got embarrassed in Week One or whatever, wh- whichever game that was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, oh, these guys aren't nearly as good as we thought they would. Well, we know they're going to be good. They just had a bad game in Week One, and who are they going to take it out on? the visiting Georgia state Panthers. So that, that, that was a hard game for the Georgia state Panthers to come into, especially after having a, a, a bit of a demoralizing a run against army. So Charlotte's probably just what the doctor ordered a team that's capable, but maybe a team that you can put up some points on and it got all your guys ready. Uh, all you guys out COVID port 
uh, protocol. Uh, Cornelius Brown finally find his footing, make some big plays, and we'll see this Georgia State team that we're supposed to see that we were promised we'd get in the preseason. Well, we we kind of hinted at the upcoming schedule. It all gets started on Thursday night with Ohio, the Bobcats, not the Buckeyes, the Bobcats headed oh, to Lafayette. The, it's not the Buckeyes? Oh. <laughs> L- little low, little low. Little Little low. Right. Headed to Lafayette to face the Raging Cajuns. Bobcats 0-2. I think the Cajuns can take that one hands down and, and continue our dominance over the MAC and uh, another big non-conference win for the league. You know, though, the Bobcats, they're always one of these funky-ass MAC teams that comes in, and you never know if they're going to be good or bad. And when they're good, it's a big surprise, and when it's a bad, nobody really cares. So I guess we're going to see what kind of Bobcats we're going to get out of that. But – uh, <laughs> And if you can get a hot dog at the Lafayette game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine having to be the AD and, and, and put out a public apology because the concession stands weren't up to, up to snuff. Asians were <laughs> raging about their hot dogs. And, and I, did, I thought I saw a line in there, too. They're about the loud music. Apparently, they don't have they didn't like the music in there that was going on there uh, in Lafayette. But, yeah, uh, Ohio just lost to an, an FCS team in Duquesne. Uh, can't can't feel super awesome going in and playing uh, Billy Napier's bunch. No, but hasn't this been a golden age of FCS teams coming in and winning games they're not supposed to be winning? So I don't know. Maybe that stigma isn't so bad. Hey, remember what what I what I said? A lot of these FCS programs that played in the spring, they're giving folks fits in the fall because they've actually played four or five six games already. They know things about themselves. A lot of these FBS programs have no idea that are inserting new, new new guys in in different places. So, and uh, it, you have the, the the transfer portal. That these are really FBS. Te- it's a flagship FCS, but it's an FBS team. Yeah, that's a good point, Dusty Thibodeau. Speaking of good points, actually, this is a terrible segue, but I'm so eager to get into it because. This was like the hot topic maybe last night. I think it was James Madison's social media group or something start putting out this rumor that the Sun Belt was already in negotiations. We're about to put the, the bow on the top of invitations to a group of, of teams that included James Madison and that included... Uh, uh, let's see, Southern Miss Marshall. and Marshall, and of all people, Old Dominion. And did Idaho. you guys hear about this? Yeah, I, I did. And here's, I guess, the, the where, where I, my questions come in. So who moves first? Is it the American or is the Sunbelt? Does the Sunbelt want to be proactive? Is the American basically saying, hey, we just lost three programs, and three of our top tier programs. Um, are we trying to be aggressive and go make a move? Um, you know, as we talked about with Keith Gill, and we had him on a couple of weeks back, you know, these conference commissioners do talk to each other. So they there has to be some level of, um, you know, whether it's gamesmanship, whether it's, you know, hey, having intelligent conversations, because I think these these conferences have to look at it. And I think these programs have to look at it and go, hey, if this program is going that way, where do we need to respond or should we try to recruit them to us and, and build um, I think that's the interesting thing about it and something that we have continued to see over the last few weeks. And we've talked about it. Little Rock and Texas Arlington are gone. I mean, that's, it's just a matter of when, not if. Um, and they, 
you know, do they get the New Mexico state Idaho treatment or <laughs> are, are they, you know, basically is it, is it, it's not you, it's me. We're breaking up. I'm going to go ahead and leave um, now as a basketball only member. So um, how does that pie get split? You know, how, who do you add? Um, you know, Commissioner Gill talked about it specifically, you know, you want to basically look at programs that are going to, you know, impact your TV deal moving forward. So knowing the AAC lost, you know, some significant TV uh, revenue and TV eyeballs there in, in Cincinnati and Houston and UCF, um, which one is is to respond? Because I think that's the next step is finding, um, you know, where, where, where is the fit? You know, what, what makes sense? You know, James Madison has been sitting on the sidelines for how long now? You know, we, we heard basically um, they, they were interested in the Sun Belt. They were interested in Conference USA. Are they attractive enough to play in the AAC? I don't know. You know, if, if you talk to that one Twitter poster, their stadium could expand to 60,000 for some reason. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we've got a lot of, uh, of smoke from one Twitter post on that. But I tell you one thing, and, and Dusty, I think you'll agree with me. That letter from Keith Gill that he put out saying that the Sun Belt was ready to expand and maybe – yeah, maybe in a not uh, not so uh, veiled expression, he was ready to kick some ass. That was kind of nice to see from Keith Gill, who hasn't always been a very uh, vocal and aggressive person. So it was really cool to see that happen. There's no doubt the Sun Belt is in the driver's seat right now. If you look at the TV deal that is there, the competition, the fact that you had two teams in the top 25 to begin the year, three to end the year last year, winning a record against the Big 12, winning record in bowl games. Some, the, the Sun Belt is what the Conference USA and American used to be. And if you look at even this past weekend, Cincinnati ranked in the top 10 against an FCS opponent. Their game was only available on ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> only. Yeah. And, and, and yes, the Sunbelts deal has a lot of the games on the three or plus platform, however you want to look at it, but we're not a top 10 team. Yeah, That's the expectation. Whereas you have that top 10 team and you're still only on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, Dusty. So I guess the final analysis on that is we don't really know anything, but we do know the Sunbelt wants to be aggressive. We do know that the American isn't going to go down without a fight. And we do know that the Mac isn't seems to be involved at all in any of this process. <laughs> so sad for the Mac, sad for uh, maybe Mountain West, who's probably wondering what the hell's going on, but very exciting for everybody else. Uh, do we want to go around the circle and do parting shots before Ben has to go? I love it. Ben, parting shot. Awesome. Well, I think it's, uh, I think this is the weekend that, you know, we, we talked about last week. I think this Sunbelt has an opportunity uh, to really make some hay. We talked about some of the, uh, you know, the Mac and Sunbelt uh, matchups, you know, Georgia State host, hosting Charlotte. You have a lot of options there. Got a big opportunity, obviously, Arkansas State headed out west uh, against the Washington team, going to land a punch against the Pac-12. Um, you know, really, really, really important this month of September that these teams uh, show well uh, and, and continue to grow and, and build. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing what uh, what the league's teams, you know, how the Sun Belt looks basically at, as the dust settles, uh, you know, here this weekend. Absolutely. Dusty, parting shot. Looking forward to going to see Coach Sanders in his hideously <laughs> ugly chrome helmets against the Warhawks. 
looking forward to seeing ULM win, something that they haven't done since 2019. And like Doug pointed out, I didn't realize that the last win was against Coastal Carolina. So maybe this is the first chance that ULM has to kind of uh, start writing the ship and, and getting back uh, to the winning ways right before conference starts next week. So looking forward to that, looking forward to, uh, you know, being out in the Grove and tailgating again, something I haven't got to do in a while, especially with the whole COVID year shutting everything down last year. Um, just excited to go see live football. Ben and I are pulling for you. We, we are sending you positive energy, sending you and the Warhawks positive energy because we want them to break this, this horrible uh, streak as well because it just looks bad for the Sun Belt, Dusty. Come on, you got to start picking, picking your weight. I'm doing what I can. <laughs> I, I have put on plenty of weight. Coach him up, Dusty. Coach him up. <laughs> okay, my parting shot is with Vegas. Uh, I uh, happened to be looking at the sporting lines last night, purely for academic purposes, not for anything other than just curiosity. And I noticed that Washington was picked to be a 17-point favorite over Arkansas State, which is not surprising to me that Washington, which was a top 25 team as early as two weeks ago, would be favored in that home game. But it was amusing to me that a team that has only scored 17 points all season long is a 17-point favorite to Arkansas State, who has the number one passing uh, offense in the nation and is third in total offense. So I found that to be a little strange, a little bizarre. I don't know if Vegas missed a step or if they know something I don't know. Either way, I'm very nervous and excited about the game. And uh, I'll certainly be watching from home because I'm not making that long West Coast trip. Come on, jump j- jump on the, the Greyhound. You can make it there like by <laughs> next week. Well, guys, another episode. Looking forward to another great week of good old Fun Belt football. Anxious to see what we can do in non-conference games. It's the last week of, of kind of the G5 non-conference games. A couple teams have some later uh, P5 schedules uh, or games on the schedule. Anxious to see it as always. And, you know, we'll uh, definitely keep everybody up to date on the Fun Belt PC Twitter account, as well as our individual accounts, Warhawk underscore report, A State Fan Rules. And Ben, I forget what yours is. Ben Moore 24 7. There we go. And so guys, I, do, I do recommend that we do one thing. Let's promise one thing. If there is an announcement with the Sun Belt saying we have picked up these schools, we have to do an emergency podcast. Emergency. I, I agree. All right. So awesome. Well, hopefully we talk later this week. If not, we'll do it again next week as always.